Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to another edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Michael Remus in the host chair for Hustler. He is away. We'll be back next week when I'm in. Uh, so great to see everyone in chat. How's everyone doing? Big win. Well, as a win for the Winnipeg Jets yesterday against the San Jose Sharks. Great show lined up. Who's coming on? Brandon Ruwicki will join me shortly. Skates and Plates. Scott Billick of the Winnipeg Sun. Ed Tate will talk some more. CFL free agency. And you're going to want to stay tuned for our Sport Manitoba. It uh, takes a community to play segment with Travis Boyd, a speed skating referee who's been everywhere uh, from speed skating, including the Olympic Games. So you're going to want to stay tuned for that one. But before we get into it, got to give a shout out to the sponsors. Wouldn't be here without them. Canadian Club, Modern Man Barbershop, Manitoba Battery, Winnipeg Jets, Wallace & Wallace, F Apparel, Little Brown Jug, Boston Pizza, Sport Manitoba, and cool bet. So here we are. Th- what is it? Thursday, heading into the weekend. And last night, Winnipeg Jets took on the San Jose Sharks. We know Sharks bottom of the standings. The Jets were a massive, massive favorite coming into the game. It was like minus four hundred for those of you who follow the odds. Implied team total was close to four, three point eight. The Jets firmly, we know, firmly in a playoff spot near the top of the Central. And San Jose, they were off. For two weeks with their player break coming after the All-Star break. And coming into the game, there was talk, especially here, about is there another second-half slump for the Jets? You know, we saw flat major flashbacks to 2019 and uh, last season. You know, Two straight losses in Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, scoring only a combined one goal. But on Saturday, where we last saw them, First and thirds, they brought it in the rematch for the Penguins, but they still only scored two goals in the Jets, now averaging 2.98 goals per game. That number certainly dropped over the last couple weeks. And, you know, I joked on TSN yesterday, the headline coming to the game was, would it be cookie night for the Winnipeg Jets? Referencing a term Drew Doughty used after a loss by the Kings this season. Uh, I think cookie didn't really mean points, but if it meant shots on goal, then it definitely was cookie night for the Jets. And you're kind of tightening your collar early. Like, what's going on here with the Jets? The Sharks got out early, 4 nothing lead and shots on goal. And it felt like deja vu. I was like, oh, are we, are we in the second half slide? Are we getting outplayed by the Sharks again? I mean, that's what you're thinking if uh, you're watching the Jets. They had played San Jose twice this season. Already heading into last night, losing 1-2 and winning 2-1. But after going down 4 nothing in shots, the Jets threw 15 straight shots on Sharks goalie Capo Kakadin, who was solid all night, making 38 saves. But, hey, just throw pucks on net. Good things happen. Morgan Barron opening, opened the scoring in the first period. His ninth of the year, that was his first goal in 14 games, a, a career-high uh, for him with nine on the season. Adam Lowry also uh, chipping in, snapping a seven-game pointless streak. He got an assist there. And Neil Pionk, shout-out to Neil Pionk. I can't believe this. Now tied for fourth in franchise history with most assists by a defenseman in his career. One, 
He's got 137 assists. Feels like he just got here, Neil, Neil Pionk. Didn't that Tuba trade just happen? Uh, but the one goal was all the Jets would need as they dominated every category, but but the one that mattered, goals on the score sheet. Scott, shots on goal, 39-17. Scoring chances uh, via natural stat trick, 39-16. High danger scoring chances were 24-7. to uh, the process was great. The Jets dominated a team way below them in the standings for 60 minutes, out-shooting them, out-possessing them, uh, winning in the face-off circle, and generating more scoring chances. However, you did have to hold your breath a little there as the score was still tied 1-0. Or sorry, score, score was still 1-0, and the Sharks were pressing at the end of the game. couple shutouts. Mark Scheifele preserving the shutout for Hellebuck. Going back to his days, he called, recalled many sticks getting into the net and getting a knee on the puck in the second period that would have made it 1-1. Uh, Connor Hellebuck was steady. He made all, all the saves, 17 in total. That's the lowest shot total by an opponent against the Jets this season. Uh, you know, it can't be, it's not all, you know, roses after a one nothing win. Uh, scoring, finishing, uh, I think there's some concern there. Five goals in their last four games, seven goals in their last seven for the Jets. Not going to get it done long term. They're on the third longest streak in franchise history of scoring two or fewer goals in a game. The power play continuing to struggle 0 for 2. And now on the fifth longest streak of not scoring in franchise history at eight games. Uh, shout out to the penalty kill going one for one. Third straight game of perfection. For the penalty kill. And as we look overall in the season, 32, 14, and 5 for the Jets. Fifth in the league on points percentage. They've got a win streak now, going from a five game losing streak to now a two game winning streak. Although some will debate me if uh, two games makes a, a winning streak. And hey, get score first and you win the game. Seems that way for the Jets. 21, 3, and 1 uh, when scoring the opening goal. And 15-1-0 after leading after one period. A uh, couple other player notes. Seems like everyone was getting shots on goal. Uh, Nino Niederreiter was giving me flashbacks to earlier in the season. Uh, snake bit by Kakadon. Five, five on net for Nino. Uh, led the team. Kyle Connor had four. Shavely had four. Sean Monahan. We're still waiting for him to get his elusive first point. Three shots on goal and a lot of offense from the defense, or shots on goal from the defense. Pionk, Sandberg, and Stanley each had four. And Logan Stanley really uh, threw his weight around there, uh, laying a big hit on Sturm. Josh Morrissey led the team in ice time with 24 minutes and 44 seconds. And we had a lot of talk about the lines. We had a line switch. Uh, Nikolai Ehlers went down to the fourth line late in the game, and Alex Ayafalo went up to the top. Excited to bring in Brandon Ruwicki to talk about all that and more. But first, let's hear from Winnipeg Jets head coach Rick Bonus uh, with his thoughts on the game. Here's Rick Bonus. Four shot attempts. We had certainly uh, more than enough scoring chances to score more than one goal. It's not going in their goal to give the goal. Their goal to a ton of credit. He made huge saves. We were all over the net. Um, I'm just going to keep pushing. If we can create that much offense, uh, well, the puck will have to go in soon. You guys had breakaways. There's a lot around the slot. There's yeah. a whole bunch. And then the goal you get is a double deflection that goes in off of Barron. What do you make of that? 
That's hockey. Just keep throwing pucks at the net and hope for the best. That's, you know, we lost the game in Philadelphia. That's all they did. They threw two pucks at the net. They hit about three different things and went in twice. Tonight we got one of those. There's Rick Bonus. Yep, throw pucks on net and good things happen. So pumped to bring in Brandon Ruicki, Skates and Plates podcast, fellow young dad. What's going, what's going on, uh, Brando? How you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. How are things over there? It, it's kind of a tough break that, uh, you know, Huss is off this week and the one Jets game is the ultimate snooze fest against the San Jose Sharks. See if we can see if we can make a show out of this one. But but other than that, I'm doing good, man. Man, lots to talk about. Monday was easy with the you know Super Bowl, CFL free agency. It's been a fun week of the Sea Bears. Also signing uh, Chad Posthumous. He'll join me uh, tomorrow. Pump for that. But yeah, it's a bit of a slow week for Jets. You know they had the win on Saturday, but I mean, what do you think of last night's game? Other than uh, labeling it as a snooze fest and the one nothing Valentine's day showdown yeah it was a tough watch i mean it, it, it wasn't a very aesthetically pleasing game i mean the sharks at this point especially without hurdle and couture are, are basically ahl ish right so there just wasn't a whole lot of talent on the san jose side um and i i, I thought it took 40 minutes for the winnipeg jets to really get going i, I know they kind of slowly took over the shot clock and, and things like that but I, I didn't like their game at all through the first 40 minutes the third period was more like it. Now, of course, they didn't score in the final frame, but that, that to me is, okay, if we're going to take a positive out of the game here with the win of the two points, it's how they played in the third period, where all of a sudden, you know, things became a little more congested in a positive way for the Jets in the offensive zone. There wasn't as much perimeter play. They were getting bodies towards the net, like Bones there said, pucks towards the net. So I, I like their play in the final frame, but the game as a whole, it, it just it, it wasn't great. And I think... You know, I, I guess the main takeaway is just we get the two points. Let's move on here and and basically just hope that there's some kind of a a dam being broke against Vancouver on Saturday. That that's that's the new litmus test. You know, there wasn't going to be a whole lot of of things to take away just by beating the San Jose Sharks. Um, but a lot of the questions, no doubt, still remain. I mean, the power play can't score, and and the offense just isn't clicking as it was. You know, a couple of months back there. So plenty to work on. We'll see if they can get it done by the time Vancouver, um, that, that matchup gets going on Saturday. Um, but kind of funny that even with the win, Remo, we uh, we still have to talk about, you know, Ehlers Gate with Nikki getting the demotion in the game. That, that seemed to be the, the most uh, the most talked about point uh, after, after the oh. game came to an end. I was going to wait to get into that, but you jumped the, jumped the gun. I mean, I mean, what is it about the San Jose Sharks? I mean, this is a team, <laughs> Brando, they're... You know, worst in goal differential, but worst in goals for, goals against. Jets have scored four goals in four games against the team. you got Mackenzie Blackwood standing on his head, Capo, Kakinen. we got to make a list here of all these goalies uh, that have stoned the Jets. I mean, what's going on here with the, the lack of finishing lately? This was a team that was up there in terms of goals for, but they've dropped to under three per game now this season. Yeah, Morgan Barron has has two of those against against San Jose. So yeah. like really all the top guns are just ice cold. I mean, that that part to me is just kind of like one of those weird coincidences that happen over the course of a season for for any like I I'm sure Colorado struggled against one of the the cellar dwellers. You know what I mean? It, that, that to me isn't the main worry, but 
but it's just that the Jets right now aren't aren't scoring on anybody. Bad team, good team, mediocre team. They're they're just struggling to put three together, and it's it's just so difficult to win hockey games like that. Really, the only reason they won last night's game, you could argue, although Kakinen did play pretty good, is that there wasn't a whole lot of potency in in, in the opposition's attack. If if there was a half decent team on the other side, they might have found a way to, to pot a couple goals, and it would have been tough for the Jets to pick up the win there. It, it, it's just too it's too stressful of a way to play hockey. You know, even with Hellebuck being the Vesna front runner, you're you're just not going to go on on win streaks, right? You're not going to be able to put up a an eight and two record in ten games by maxing out at two goals a game, and that's where the Jets are right now. And it's a combination of of everything where. You know, a number of a number of the stars on this team are, are ice cold right now, and the power play is dreadful. It, it's 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 a tough watch, and it doesn't look like there's any signs of it getting better right now. So there's some some definite concerns. Um, you know, the one c- consistency this this whole season has been surprisingly what they've done in the defensive zone, but offensively, hey, hey, there needs to be a big big uh, one eighty, and it, it, it's it's got to happen fast if if this team has any hopes of, of chasing down Colorado and Dallas for the division title. Yeah, we're more than halfway through the season. The power play remains in the bottom third of the league. You know, Rick Bonus said that they were going to fix it. But as you said, not uh, too many signs there. Yeah, 14.8%. That's 26th in the league. It's funny. I, the, shark, the Sharks, for how poor they are in the standings, they have a better power play than the Jets, which kind of blows my mind once in a while. But... We talk about the lines, you know, so much talk on the weekend. We had, you know, oh, they brought in Monaghan to play with Perfetti and Ehlers. That was scrapped. Connor with Shifley and Ehlers looked pretty good here on Saturday. But, yes, uh, you know, a guy who's, you know, was a huge part of their success in December. Nick was going down to the fourth line with Alex Iafalo coming up top. I mean, you called it Ehlers game. What did what was your reaction to that switch as they're trying to hang on to the one nothing lead there in the third period? I mean, stunned. I It was like, are we watching two different games? You know, and <laughs> it's funny too because Ehlers' game could have been seen as a huge positive if the power play could actually get a decent scoring chance because Ehlers drew a couple power plays solely by work that he did through the first two periods there. The Jets, though, just can't find a way to get it done. I, 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 yeah, I, it, it's, it's really, it, it just baffles me at this point how it's been this long. We've had different coaching staffs go through this, but it just, it seems for whatever reason, when this team struggles offensively to, to generate goals and scoring chances, that Nick Ehlers is the one that kind of bears the brunt of who gets demoted. It's, it's always been Ehlers. And I, I thought he was their best player Saturday night against Pittsburgh too. And I didn't think his game was all that bad against San Jose either, but it's just him. The one he, he's the one that gets moved down the lineup before a Kyle Connor potentially goes down or, you know, name your other winger on this team. It's consistently been 27. And I, I just don't have a good answer for you, Remo. Um, to, to me, you want to try and get him out there closer to 20 minutes each and every night. Um, you know, the one for the, the one certainty I would say is that, you know, Alex Iafalo is not the answer on one of the, the top two lines for the Jets. I mean, he's just it's been a struggle for him outside of that 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 first opening week of the season where he looked good beside uh, Mark Shifley and Kyle Connor. But, you know, I, I, I don't really understand the, the logic and flip flopping those two. Um, I do think moving forward that, you know, 
to try to get the most out of Sean Monaghan and in, in a way the most out of your top six. I, I do think that you need one of Connor or Ehlers beside Sean Monaghan. I, I think there's a noticeable lack of foot speed with Monaghan, and I think he would do well to have one of those two on a line with him. How you want to work that, I, I wouldn't really even care all that much, um, but I, I just don't think the answer for this team's offensive deficiencies right now is to put Nick Ehlers on the fourth line and have Alex Iafalo slot up to the top line. I thought we were kind of past it where, you know, it seemed over the last couple, last month, you know, during that win streak, it was established that, okay, Nikolai Ehlers, he's a top-line player, and, yeah, maybe he's a bit small or plays in an unconventional style, but you can't argue with the results that he's pr- produced here over the last five years with him on the ice. He's more efficient scorer uh, than any other player, and that's points per, you know, 60 minutes, and, you know, overall, his points are going to be less because he doesn't get power play one. He doesn't get the ice time, but he, I think he's shown he's he's earned it. So I'm curious what they do going forward. But it was a bit surprising considering, yeah, he's it seems like he's established himself here as one of the offensive leaders on this team. And I don't know what more he has to do to convince the coaching staff of that. Yeah, I I don't think there is anything else he can do. I I I think it's just this is how they view him. That that's the simplest answer, at least, right? Mm-hmm. Is that the coaching staff doesn't view him in the same way that a lot of the fan base does. Uh, I I don't know if that's because they don't think he's a driver at even strength. Uh, I, I I don't know if it, if it, if it's the play style where it's you know a little more east west thrown in there than just pure north south. Mm-hmm. I I don't have a good answer for you. I, I I think even over this stretch, he's been one of their more effective players. So it's it's confusing to me why why this continues to happen. Um, you know the power play can can be a separate argument, but to me five on five, you got to at, at the end of each game, Nick Ehlers should be in your top three for for time on ice five on five. I, like he, he's just going to help you win more hockey games that way. And I I just don't think it's a winning formula to have him below and and finish you know fifth sixth seventh in time on ice even strength like he has in in way too many games this. So I mean. To me, you want to score more goals, getting Ehlers on the ice more often is going to help you do that. And then you can kind of figure out the rest of your issues after that. Yeah, and, you know, it doesn't look, sometimes it doesn't look conventional. He may have the odd giveaway with a draw pass or a no look, but at the end of each game, uh, he's going to be on the ice for what? He's going to outshoot his opponent, although he he did not yesterday at 5-on-5, but he's going to have, you know, better scoring at the end of the year than you know, the players on his team in terms of uh, rate per 60. Uh, here's Rick Bonus. Murata Tesh asked him yesterday after the game about the line swap. And then in the third period, kind of protecting that one goal lead, uh, Ehlers and I have follow switch spots. What was the reasoning behind that? I just didn't like what I was seeing from that top line, so... Was it about what they were creating? I was trying to look for the thing, if there was, if there would have been a reason. Maybe there was like an ozone giveaway kind of in the third there, but what leads to that kind of it, thing. It wasn't the third. It was led, what led up to the third. Rick Bone is not really uh, going to elaborate on that, but he said he didn't like what he seen. And just for clarification, time on ice. Mark Scheifele, uh, 22.03. Kyle Connor, 21.36. And then next up was Nikolai Ehler, 16.45. Monaghan, 16.29. Velarde was 16.01. And then uh, Perfetti, 14.58. That's that's your top six there. You know, one player, we'll move on from Ehlers. And we'll get to that more with, with Scott. One player who really stood out, and it was probably his last game in the lineup for a bit here, Logan Stanley. Uh, Brad, he's blocking shots, 
putting shots on goal, uh, making big hits. Uh, you'd hate to see a guy leave, leave the game. I don't think he meant to drop uh, Sturm on his head there. But you have to say, he kind of felt like he was finding his game more uh, playing in these three uh, while Brandon Dillon was out with the suspension. Yeah, it's one of his best games of his career, I thought. <laughs> he was pretty impactful out there. He sprung Nino for the breakaway there. I mean, for a big guy, he's got he, he's got pretty good vision from his own end. He makes a good stretch pass. Um, that, you know, it's, it's kind of funny just because he's he's big and maybe given the old, you know, because he's six foot seven, he's a defensive defenseman stereotype. But he's actually pretty adept with the puck on his stick when he when he has a little bit of, of, of time and space to make a play. Um, yeah, I, I thought he's been fine since he went back into the lineup for the most part, really. I mean, th- this is kind of what Logan Stanley is, though, is he's probably a seventh defenseman on on most good playoff teams, contending teams. A guy that you could trust to come in and you know give you at least replacement level play. I I, I think he's been I think he's been just fine. Um, and and it kind of crescendoed with that performance against San Jose. So I I can't say I'm overly surprised that he was able to be effective for the Jets in in, in, a, in a big stretch of time here. Um, it's just going to be intriguing now what happens really with with his future with the, the deadline less than a month away now. If if the Jets want to try to hold on to him and have him as their seventh defenseman safety net. It's, it's, it's kind of fascinating, Remo. Like, I, I don't know what the answer is or what it's going to be if they look to maybe bring in a veteran D-man as an extra with a late-round pick. Um, what Billy Hanel's recovery from, from his injury is going to be like as well will we'll play a role in it. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I, look, I don't mind him being the seventh or eighth defenseman on a team. Um, it's it's just you don't necessarily want him blocking the path of somebody like Billy Hanela, who could be a big boost to this team's biggest issue right now, which is their lack of power play success. So um, all in all, I, yeah, I, I thought it was one of his better games against the Sharks last night. Yeah, six foot seven. You know, when I think Logan Stanley, I think two playoff goals in that game against Montreal, and you saw the shot working yesterday, gets it hard and on net. You know, I do wonder if that Billy ship has has you know sailed for the season. I talked about it with Drew Bell. You, you think a guy playing in the AHL can come fi- come in and fix the power play right away? I guess it's trying something, and it seems like they haven't really. I don't want to say they haven't done anything, but whatever they've done hasn't worked so far. So at this point, why not? If he's having a great year at the AHL, but they don't feel like he's recovered enough from the ankle injury and. You know, I spoke earlier this week with David Pagnot of the fourth period, and Murad mentions, yeah, I think a veteran seventh D or depth defenseman is maybe the likely move here for the deadline, as they've already done, you know, the big shopping with Sean Monahan uh, for a first round pick. Yeah, I mean, watching these last few games, Remo. I mean, anytime you can bring in veteran D men to as kind of a security blanket is good. You know, I know there was a lot of smoke or fire about Chris Tanna potentially coming here. But to me, if you're going to make any kind of semi-notable addition, I'm, I'm looking up front and I'm trying to bring in somebody on the wing uh, that, that you feel like could be a legitimate scorer inside your, your top three lines. I, I, I think that's the biggest issue with this team right now, five on five at least. Um, and, and, and what it does too, what it would do is that, you know, it would prevent an over-reliance on Perfetti and Velarde to produce down the stretch and then in the postseason. Um, you know, Velarde, minimal postseason experience, although he played good for the Kings in the, in, in the playoffs last year in their series against Edmonton. But Perfetti's never had the, the, the chance to play in the postseason yet. 
Um, he's really never played this many <laughs> this many games in a season as well. So you worry about fatigue maybe setting in down the stretch run. I think looking at somebody out there on the wing to bring in would be a nice addition for this club. And then you have the option of, you know, a Perfetti or a Velarde further down in your lineup to not only give those lines a boost, but if something isn't working, throw those guys up for a game or two and maybe they can give you a little bit of a jolt of, you know, electricity, a little bit of jolt of production there. I, I just think it gives you a little more options here. And it, it does feel like it's it's been a little stale since, since Monaghan came on board um, and, and the production just isn't there right now. I, I think bringing in another player here that maybe wouldn't cost you, you know, a whole ton looking in like that second, third round pick range. I, I think there's enough guys that are going to be available and out there that the Jets can target. And maybe that kind of kickstarts a way to give you some secondary production and you can load up that top line, maybe with the Shifley, Ehlers and Connor or whatever it might be. And then you feel a little bit more confident about how this team can solve um, some of their offensive problems right now once the game's get tighter down the stretch run, and then once the postseason starts too. Yeah, seven goals in the last seven games. I mentioned scoring certainly been a problem. And how about Gabe Velarde? Had the monster December, 14 points in 13 games. January, five points in 10 games. And now into February, zero points in four games. And we talked about their, him and Perfetti scoring droughts yesterday as it continues. But we'll move on from the Jets. We did have some big NHL news today. Brandon, uh, Columbus firing GM Yarmo Kekalainen. He was there a long time, hired in 2013, Brandon. What was your reaction to the Kekalainen, uh, I guess, dismissal? Yeah, probably four months too late, to be honest. <laughs> I'm, I'm shocked it didn't happen during the whole Babcock incident before the season got underway, but Columbus is kind of, I, I don't know if it's quietly, maybe I just feel like that. But Columbus, to me, has quietly been one of, if not the biggest dumpster fires in the NHL over the past couple of seasons. I, I'm kind of fascinated to see what they do at the deadline, too, Remo, because they, they've got a few veterans that they signed and, and brought in over these last two seasons with the intention of being a contending team. And they're obviously light years away from, from that being a possibility you would imagine in the near future here. So, I, yeah, I, I wonder what goes on with the Blue Jackets here. But it's hard not to – I mean, there really is no basis for for keeping Pekalainen around at this point because ever since – I mean, really, you're looking back at with the, the, the departures of Panarin, Bobrovsky, and, and, and even Tortorella to an extent, the Blue Jackets just haven't been anywhere near as competitive as they should be, which is a shame because Columbus is a really good hockey market. They just, they just haven't had great teams for a long stretch of time there. Um, but there is a lot of young talent. That there, there's no doubt about that. Um, but you just wonder, like, what the direction is going to be, you know, moving to this deadline and then in the offseason as well. You know, like, are you going to pivot again towards leaning on youth and a quote-unquote rebuild? Or are you going to try to thread that line between bringing your youth up and then having some veterans to kind of bring them along and, and, and try to chase a playoff spot in, in a tough Eastern Conference. I, I don't totally know what the answer is there, but this this season as a whole has just been the ultimate Murphy's Law season for the Blue Jackets. Like, it's just been a complete disaster outside of Fantilli looking like a star when he's been in the lineup. It, it, it really has been just an awful time there. Um, but it does, in a different way, um, with some Winnipeg ties here, Remo, I believe Chevy's now the second longest tenured GM in hockey. He was behind Kekalainen, 
And now only Doug Armstrong has been in one spot longer than Chevy. That's correct. And Armstrong does have the Stanley Cup and shoveled it off. Uh, Yeah, been here since uh, the season, or sorry, the team returned. Kekalainen hired Brando February 13, 2013. So almost just over nine years. I was I forgot a lot of the success that they had. They qualified for the Stanley Cup playoffs five times, 2014, 17, 18, 19, and, you know, the 2020 bubble where Pierre-Luc Dubois had his coming out par- party against uh, the Maple Leafs. Four winning of seasons based on points percentage during that span. And so they had some success early, but the last couple of years, yeah, they've had a lot of injuries. Wawrenski got hurt last year, you know. There were teams last year that were trying to tank openly like Chicago and get that number one pick. And the Blue Jackets, as you said, everything just went wrong for them and they ended up getting landing Adam Fantilli. They do have some nice pieces in terms of who? Marchenko, Sillinger, Kent Johnson, Fantilli, uh, who they had the the rookie, uh, Chinakov. Yeah, Voronikov, that guy. Those guys have been solid. And then, yeah, Dave Juracek as well. So, Heading into the deadline, I guess they wanted, you know, they need said, hey, we're going to make some trades here, some big moves. We want to have a new guy come in. And I think he was kind of, seemed like the writing was on the wall after, you know, you hire a coach. I forget how many coaches that's been for for Yarmo, but and he doesn't even make it to training camp. I think that was, and I think it was just so much turnover, like firing a coach and the GM at the same time, like right before the start of the season, seems like a bit of a disaster already, and it, I guess it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, if, if you hire a coach who doesn't make it to one practice, that never mind a game or trading, like, <laughs> a practice, they never had a practice with the team. Like, to, to me, that was immediate grounds for dismissal there. Um, so we'll see what happens with the Blue Jackets moving forward. I mean, it's, it's interesting because – they, in a way, they kind of got an ideal ownership group. Like, you don't really hear a lot about, you know, one, who the Blue Jackets owners are, but you never really hear them speak in public. But they're very, you know, open and, and okay with essentially just letting the GM and the president of, of Hockey Ops just run the show. Like, hey, let us, we'll, we'll give you the money. You guys just take care of everything here. Um, and I, I, like I mentioned before, I, I think it's a sneaky good hockey market as well. I would just like to see them just have, have some success and, and, and a little bit of, uh, Solidity, like let's just go a couple years without any drama and or anything like that, and 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 see where it takes you there. So, um, yeah, not 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 surprised whatsoever here. It, it, it's just the timing that's bizarre to me. But I guess look, if you know he's not going to be around next year, you probably don't want that guy running the deadline for you. So, just well, I'm intrigued to see what that means in terms of the direction of the Blue Jackets, at least in the next month or so terms of where they want to go with some of the assets that they have because they do have some guys that they can move and you know maybe maybe speed up that rebuild a little bit because I know people here in Winnipeg were wondering about the Boone Jenner possibility mm-hmm. for a while there um, but I mean there's a few other guys despite their ineptitude this season that would draw a pretty penny on on the trade market so see what happens yeah Boone Jenner's got two more years after this he does have an eight team no trade clause and I agree you know if you're trading or acquiring draft picks you you know he's not going to be here. Well, we may as well get someone else. John Davidson taking over. Uh, Darren Jagger speculating on X, formerly known as Twitter. Why don't they try uh, Jeff Gorton, who's with Montreal, who was previously the Rangers GM uh, with John 
Davidson. And one other note around the NHL, Brando, as he wrapped this up, we did get a look at your Philadelphia Flyers uh, last week, but they announced what Sean Couturier uh, as the captain. I do wonder what is this team going to do at the deadline because you know they were not expected to be in this spot, and here they are, third in the Metro. Uh, John Torrell hasn't playing well. They're on a four-game winning streak. I, this was certainly not part of uh, the plan for this season. Yeah, the the plan was not to be good. Um, so in, in classic Flyers fashion, they've, they've deviated in a big way from the original plan there. Um, you know, there, John Tortorella had a great quote about this. Um, Charlie O'Connor, formerly of the athletic, uh, sent out a tweet. It was only like a day or two ago. Um, just about, and he was asked the question, essentially that question, like, you know, the team's playing great. You're in a playoff spot. Are you going to look towards the present, the future, what's it going to be there? And he basically said what he said all along, and that's we've got a plan here, and, and we're not shying away from that. And the plan is we need to get this team to a certain spot, um, and it's going to take a few years to do that. So I, they, they've been very consistent in their messaging. I am going to be shocked if they don't move Sean Walker. Um, I, I think that's a foregone conclusion. I'm, I, I really think at this point we're going to see Sean Walker – likely Scott Lawton, and then probably one or two other pieces move out of Philadelphia. Um, and they become essentially a playoff team that's selling off some of their assets. I wouldn't be totally surprised if they then, you know, maybe made a little, um, a, a couple mini buys in and around it after moving on from those guys. But I, I think it's pretty clear in, in Philadelphia, at least, that the plan is still, you know, we've, we've got to get to a certain spot and it's going to take a couple years to do that. And even a strong start to this year, isn't going to dissuade us from from what our plan is. So, yeah, I, I think it's going to be one of those rare situations where a team that's battling for a division title is going to ship off some some big-time contributors, and they're going to pick up potentially two first-round picks at the deadline. Um, so, it's yeah, it, it's it's bizarre, but I, I do I, I'm going to I'm going to believe in the plan by by Danny B and company, and um, I I think they can kind of thread the needle of selling off some guys who aren't their first first line top pair players um, doing that, but then also maybe bringing in some help as to not torpedo the, the dynamics inside that locker room as they make a push for the playoffs. Yeah. That's one team to watch. They do have uh, two first round picks. One of them is Florida's uh, conditional. So it looks like they'll have that uh, for this season. They got two seconds as well. They have Columbus's uh, there's some conditions. On that one as well. And yeah, Sean Walker's their only uh, UFA after this season. Scott Lawton's name is out there in trade rumors as well. Brandon, thank you so much for coming on. Great to talk to you. We didn't even get to the Super Bowl. I know you probably had some. Do you want to try, chime in? I'm sure if I was, Hustler was in the chair, he'd be like, man, Mahomes, isn't he just like the best ever? Like, sucks to be another team in the NFL, right? I don't know if you want. Yeah, no, I, I I was thinking about this on on Tuesday, I think it was, and I was like, how cool would it be to have a Mahomes, right? Like with one of the teams that you want. Like imagine the Jets having a Mahomes. Like it's just it sounds like the coolest thing ever. Where it's like doesn't matter what's going on in the game, but it's, yeah, we'll find a way. Don't worry. It, that that would be neat. So it'd be cool if one of the teams I follow across all the sports would would get somebody like that in the mix. But I mean, yeah, he's a legend. There's no other way to put it. Um, what's also crazy to me is just, especially with big games like the Super Bowl, and and really what happens is they're 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 legacy makers. 
both positively and negatively. But it's crazy how, you know, how close both the Chiefs Niners Super Bowls were. <laughs> like Kyle Shanahan in, in a lot of circles is viewed like you can never win with this coach. Like he just he makes the wrong mistakes. He can't do this, can't do that. But it's just one or two plays or one or two instances here or there that really like it, it very just as easily could have been the 49ers winning two Super Bowls in, in these last five years. But instead, it's Kansas City winning three and five. So like it just just stuff like that. It, it always kind of fascinates me. Um, but yeah, Mahomes, that'd be nice. It'd be nice to have somebody like that. So we'll see. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that could happen in one of my teams. I'm probably not going to be with the Flyers, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens there. But yeah, I mean, it's it, he really is like sports Thanos. Like it's just inevitable that ultimately he's going to make the play that wins the game, um, and that that's what we saw happen there in 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 overtime against the Niners. Yeah, here's the thing about Patrick Mahomes. He's really good. So we certainly yeah. saw that. We <laughs> certainly saw that. I thought 49ers were right there. Uh, but yeah, it was a couple plays. And hey, you hold Patrick Mahomes to 19 points in uh, through four quarters. You should be able to win. And uh, they weren't able to make to do that. Anyways, Brandon, thanks again for coming on. We'll uh, talk to you next week. Sounds good, Remo. Have a good weekend. Thank you. There he is, Brandon Ruwicki. Host the Skates and Plates podcast, Brandon underscore Ruwicki on X, formerly known as Twitter. Uh, Hustler's got a couple messages, and uh, I'll come right back. Hey, gang, if you want to clean it up a little bit and get looking good, uh, you got to head over to our friends at Modern Man Barbershops with eight locations conveniently located throughout Winnipeg, including the newest locations on Pemina Highway or Plessy Road. Modern Man has you covered with a variety of grooming services, including haircuts, beard shaping, shaves, color services, and more. Make an appointment and book your look via modernmanbarber.com and follow them on Instagram at Modern Man Barber Shops. Uh, big shout out to our friends at Manitoba Battery as well. Donnie and the gang getting set to open up later this month their second Winnipeg location on Dover Court over in the south side of Manitoba which means folks in the South End will have an even easier time popping by Manitoba Battery. But as we've been telling you on Winnipeg Sports Talk, you really don't need to leave your home because not only will you shop local and get the lowest prices in town, bottom line, beating the pants off the big box stores, Manitoba Battery will deliver your batteries to you anywhere inside the perimeter for free with any purchase over $60. It's just that easy. Stay tuned for grand opening details and sales specials. But in the meantime, for all your battery needs, go to manitobabattery.com or give them a call at 204-783-8787. We are, of course, counting down the days to February 29th when we're looking forward to teaming up with our great friends and sponsors at Canadian Club and the Winnipeg Whiskey Festival to uh, take over the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame for the Canadian Whiskey Masterclass event. And, of course, watch the Jets take on the Dallas Stars. Uh, the event is sold out thanks to everyone that uh, is going to come and see us. We can't wait to see you that night as well. In the meantime, for more uh, information on the Winnipeg Whiskey Festival, check it out online. And when you're at your local Manitoba Liquor Marts, make sure to check out the Canadian Club display for all of Canada's favorite Canadian whiskey, Canadian Club. And remember, 
always enjoy responsibly and not hey I should also give a shout out to uh, the gang down at Aikens Lake Wilderness Lodge and they're getting ready for a big big summer of 2024 if you are looking for an incredible fly-in fishing experience where you can be on the water in less than two hours from the city of Winnipeg Aikens Lake is the spot featuring a world-class fishing and as great as the fishing is, the hospitality of the Turen family and the Aikens team is even better. Find out more about availability and booking for 2024 at AikensLake.com. Be sure to check them out online on X and Instagram at AikensLake. There's Husser. He'll be back next week. He's still celebrating the Chiefs Super Bowl when hey if you are here still in the chat what's going on we got almost uh, 400 people hit the thumbs up subscribe to the channel tells youtube hey we're putting out some good content maybe it'll show it uh to more people we're still counting down we're on our way we got 50 away to 11k youtube subscribers so appreciative of everyone uh, who's coming out here and hanging out we're gonna get to some more uh, jets conversation but first, it's been CFL free agency. Busy week for the Blue Bombers, uh, the last couple. And I'm so pumped to bring in Ed Tate of BlueBombers.com. We're going to chop it up and uh, talk everything that's going on with the Blue and Gold. Ed, thanks so much for uh, coming on the show, BlueBombers.com. And now with uh, The Huddle uh, here on YouTube as well. Uh, how's it going, Ed? It's going good, Remo. I... Uh... I don't know if uh, we were just talking. I don't know if you saw the blooper reel that they put together here of us, of me trying to promo the huddle, which we did our first show on Tuesday. But, man, it was a nightmare. I'm a newspaper guy, right, forever and ever, and uh, put me in front of the camera. If you're asking the questions, I'm fine. But if you ask me to throw to a commercial break or do a kind of read, it's it's like um, just learning to speak all over again. Well, I enjoyed you and uh, Derek Taylor talking CFL free agency uh, after our show. That was Tuesday. Uh, so at the Blue Bombers YouTube channel. So pretty cool new studio you guys got there. But Ed, it's been a pretty pretty busy couple of weeks here for the Blue Bombers with free agency starting this week and the negotiation period before. But Kyle Walters uh, spoke to the media yesterday. I mean, overall, what do you think of the Bombers? The Bombers work here, you know, in, in the off season and what did Kyle Walters have to say yesterday? Yeah, you know, I know a lot of people, you kind of live in the moment when free agency starts, uh, I think. And I know a lot of people are disappointed that a couple of fan favorites like Jamarcus Hardrick has gone to Saskatchewan and, and Rashid Bailey hasn't signed with anybody yet. But uh, Kyle Walters said yesterday he's, he's not coming back. And there's going to be change every year. But I think when you when you start to look at the bombers and and their work in the off season, you have to take a step back and look at the whole off season because when the season ended after the loss to Montreal in the Grey Cup, there were thirty five, thirty three names on the pending free agent list, and they really chipped away at that in December, January, and the first part of February, and got a lot of work done. And then the team was pretty quiet. It was quiet on the first day of free agency because they had spent uh, their money working to keep as much of this core intact. And that's why last week's news, when you sign uh, Brady Oliveira, Dalton Schoen, and Brandon Alexander were the three big ones. When you get all those guys back, I think that's the part of the where the Bombers should be graded on is uh, how many players they retain from a team that's been to four straight great cups. And so I, th I think they did a good job. I think Kyle spoke a bit about that yesterday, Remo, when he said, 
you know, it's always tough to lose players. And Jackson Jeffcoat's another one who retired. Uh, but there's going to be change. That's just the nature of pro sports, and especially in the Canadian Football League. One stat that stood out to me is like, oh, they lost, you know, a couple of these guys, but 18 of the 24 starters from the Grey Cup, he said, are, are coming back. And in a league that has so much turnover, uh, I thought that was really impressive. You know, they kind of started off uh, signing Chris Strevler, and that was, you know, a big thing on social media. They tweeted out the uh, fur coat, but he's returning. How do you think um, they're going to use him in the lineup with Zach? You know, Zach still being the number one quarterback. Hey, it, the, there's been a, quite a significant change to the quarterback room, right? Because they traded Drew Brown to Ottawa. Dakota Prukop was not brought back because of the signing of, of uh, Chris Trevler. Prukop is now in BC. It's going to be real. I think that's going to be one of the cooler stories to start the season is how they use Chris Trevler. We saw before the packages that they had for him to take advantage of his abilities as like a bulldozing kind of fullback guy. He's not just diving forward for, you know, a yard and a half, two yards in short yardage. He's threatening the edge and, you know, he can, he can throw. I'm really intrigued to see how his quarterback skills might have improved with his time in the NFL and, and come back. So he would be the clear cut number two. Uh, and then they've signed a couple of intriguing prospects and Eric Berrier is one of them. He played at uh, Eastern Washington, same school that produced Vernon Adams, Jr., Bo Levi Mitchell and Matt Nichols. So he's got great credentials. So how they use Strebler in, in, in season will be interesting, but it will also be interesting to see who takes that third quarterback uh, spot. They might be signing some more guys before camp starts, but uh, they've got a, an interesting collection of guys already there to, to work behind Zach and work with Zach Caleros. We're all excited to see how it's going to play. Maybe you can do some more creative play calling where they change the rules that you can have two quarterbacks uh, on the field now. I have to ask you, you know, where were you when you heard they were bringing back Schoen and Oliver? Did you think that was going to be possible? Well, so I'll tell you a little secret. Like last week, the in free agency, things change so much, right? So one day you're hearing this, and the next day you're hearing that. And, and uh, I, I kind of warned people before when I did hits on other media outlets about uh, there's a possibility that both – Sean and Brady might not be back, maybe just one of them. So I was really surprised that, that both of them came back. Uh, early last week before this became official, I was kind of led to believe that Brady was gone, for example. And, and a lot of us thought that Dalton Schoen might follow Drew Brown to Ottawa because they're really good friends. So the day that uh, we found out that both of them were coming back was like a kind of a holy crap moment, right? Wow, that's big, big for the fan base. And, uh, you know, we're talking about in Brady Oliver, we're talking about everybody knows his story. Winnipeg guy, uh, proud Winnipeg or all the stuff he does with the, you know, the dog rescue. It's like his second career to lose a guy like that who's so marketable in his own hometown. And on top of all that, just a fantastic player would have been really a, a gut punch for fans. And then I think a lot of people have fallen in love with Dalton Schoen for his first two years in, in the CFL. I think he's got 26 touchdowns in 34 games, which is incredible. On top of all the catches and all the yards, those numbers are through the roof. So they have both of those guys back. And as Kyle Walters said yesterday, in the prime of their careers too, right? So both of them are, I think one's 26 and one's 27 or in that range. We're not talking about guys in their 30s. There's some 
some prime years still for those guys to play. And the fact that Brady will be here for the next two years and Dalton for the next this season for sure, maybe more, uh, it has to be comforting to fans knowing that, there, again, there's so much change around this league. Yeah, it'd be hard, you know, just from a marketing perspective oh. to let a guy like Brady go hometown guy, you know, MOP candidate from the team, as you mentioned, great in the community as well. Uh, a huge part of the offense too. So, you know, that was, we were, it was a great day here for us uh, when those two guys signed. Uh, it was super exciting, but you can't keep everyone, as you said. Which departure do you think will hurt the Bombers the most? A couple key names going to Mario Houston. Uh, to Calgary, Jackson Jeffcoat. Uh, it sounds like he's retiring. Pete Bailey uh, not coming back. There's and Jamarcus Hardrick was the other one to Saskatchewan. And there's a, I mean, a couple. I could go down the list as well as you said. You can't keep. It's a good question. You know, I look uh, right now, uh, Remo. I would say there's six jobs uh, that are kind of vacant right now, or six positions on the depth chart. You mentioned Hardrick. You mentioned Jackson Jeffcoat retiring, Demario Houston to Calgary. Uh, we are not sure about Ricky Walker, who had mm-hmm. apparently had signed with Calgary and changed his mind. So there's that import defensive tackle spot. Jeff Gray, the left guard, is not coming back. So that's another spot. And then Rashid Bailey um, is in the market right now. Still haven't heard about Sergio Castillo and Janarian Grant. Apparently they're still chatting with those two guys. But as to the biggest loss, you know, this team has been uh, so dominant at the line of scrimmage in the last few years. Essentially, that's been the key, I think, to their run to four straight great cups. And even back to 2016, when they have been on this run to be in the playoffs every year. And so when you take a Hardrick out of the equation, a Jeff Gray out of the equation, and Ricky Walker, um, Jackson Jeffcoat, that's tough, right? I do think they like... Uh, what they have in Liam Dobson and two Eli to replace Gray at guard. It's not easy to find tackles, man. We've seen that across uh, all levels of football, finding big giant men who can move their feet and keep uh, people out of the backfield, keep your quarterback clean has really been tough. So that's going to be an interesting one. I think they're, they're confident that they can fill some of the other spots. Miles Fox was a, uh, showed some flashes last year at defensive tackle. And then another thing that came up yesterday in Kyle's discussions with uh, us in the media was that Terrell Ford is coming back. And so he might be a candidate to replace Demario Houston at corner. And plus he's Canadian. So it gives him a little bit more roster flexibility too. Oh yeah. That was an interesting one as well. And yeah. Winston Rose, a guy not coming back. One name you mentioned, Liam Dobson drafted third overall in 2021. I remember when he was picked, I think you came on with us and said, mentioned a video where he was dunking a, a basketball mm-hmm. listed at six foot three, three thirty. Uh, at the time, I mean, is he ready to make the jump uh, to be a full time starter? Yeah, I think him or Tui would be the you know prime candidates there. And the draft is apparently really deep at offensive lineman. I'm not sure you can draft a guy and expect him to start right away, but I don't yeah. think depth's going to be a concern. The Dobson thing, yeah, when they drafted him, he was at Maine at the time. He ended up finishing his last year at Texas State, and he was dunking a basketball. And the Athletic uh, has a college writer, and they do an annual freaks list, they call it, the best kind of athletes. And Liam Dobson was on that list. He's a weird dude. He's a funny dude, man. He makes you laugh. I did a story with him last year during training camp. So he's Canadian from Ottawa, I believe, and he went to a prep school in the States, 
and everybody there is teasing him about being Canadian. And so he wanted to show his Canadian pride. He, he took a, a heat gun and heated up a, a toonie and then pressed it on his arm to try to tattoo himself, thinking that the image of the toonie would show up on his forearm. And all it is now is just uh, this pink blob of, of, of scarred tissue on his arm. He's a funny man. He's a funny guy, man. He just he pounds uh, en- energy drinks like uh, their diet Pepsi's or water, and uh, he makes me laugh. He's he's a quite the character. So if he makes if he becomes a starter, and we're talking to him more, you guys will not be bored because he's a funny, funny man. Yeah. Also interested to hear what you mentioned, uh, Tyrell Ford, as a brother of Trey Ford, and he just spent some time in the NFL, and he's now. He's done that, and he's now making his way back here. What do you expect from him, or what do you know about him in the last year or so? Yeah, so when he was here for the the Bombers drafting him high, his brother Trey went to Edmonton in the first round. I think Terrell went in the second round. I'm sorry for not knowing that off the top of my head. He came in, a Canadian kid, just exceptional athletic skills, and he, you know, was on the team on the practice roster, dressed for some games in 2022, started a game at the end of the year when they had locked up the first place in the division. And, you know, they empty their bench a little bit to get some uh, guys, some looks and, and started at corner and looked really, really good. Uh, the Packers signed him, uh, not just based on that film from Winnipeg, but what he had done here, but he had tested so well coming out of college, just like his brother they wanted to take another look at him. So they brought him into camp last year. He survived training camp with the Packers and then got cut and then wanted to wait to see if another NFL opportunity might pop up for him. But with and Kyle Walters spoke about this yesterday with Winston Rose gone, Jamal Parker's back at the one corner spot, spot he can move inside. But now when you start to talk to prospective free agents or you try to convince Terrell Ford to come back, his uh, path to starting isn't blocked the way it once was because Demario Houston has left. Winston Rose has moved on, as you said. So I think there's a real good uh, opportunity for Terrell Ford to, to challenge for a starting spot, not just to get on the team like he did as a rookie, but to really, really push for work in, in the, the starting 12 on defense. Yeah, I remember um, last year, Kyle Walters was talking about how well that he had tested, that he was getting the NFL looks, and we're all surprised that Dalton Schoen wasn't but we're happy that he's back in winnipeg you know you look around the league after this free agent period bombers one of the few the team they haven't signed anyone from any other team but other teams making a lot of moves which team has stood out to you so far early on in free agency yeah uh i'll get to that in a sec you're right about the the bombers not doing much and i think uh what happens now is after you spend your money you have to turn to your scouting department to find some help right this team has done a real good job of finding help so i think that's where we're at right now and um it's not not sexy when the free agent market opens and you don't sign somebody but it doesn't mean that you're not going to fill the void with more new young dalton shones or the alford or whoever uh there's a lot of work that the scouting uh, department has done in the past been pretty impressive as to who stood out around the league you know, everybody's done something, right? I mean, Ottawa had to fix their roster, and so them getting Drew Brown was a was a big uh, push. But they've, you know, they made a lot of moves around the rest of their lineup. Dominic Rhymes improves, gives them a receiving uh, a receiving threat. They've done a good job on their line of scrimmage. The team that jumps out to me, and I'm sure uh, it's going to rankle some people here, but Saskatchewan's done an excellent job, and I think it's kind of the Corey Mace effect. They hire a guy. 
who was kind of the the promising new you know coordinator to head coach. Uh, and he's got obvious leadership skills and people seem to be flocking there and, and want to play for him. They've done a really good job of fixing the holes in their roster. And plus, they're going to have a healthy Trevor Harris to start the season. Um, Saskatchewan's got uh, dramatically better. So everybody's done something. Uh, I like what the Bombers have quietly done to keep their team. Saskatchewan's jumped out to me, Ottawa too, but uh, every team in this league took advantage of the free agent, uh, the negotiating window, and then free agent market opening to improve themselves. Yeah, we'll have to see how it goes. Saskatchewan certainly intriguing, but when you bring so many new players, can they gel right away? And yeah, you mentioned Tyrell Ford. He was a second round pick. And, right. you, br- you know, bringing up, it was a couple of years ago, they had that mini camp where they brought in like 30 plus DBs. And you mentioned they found what D. Alford was Dietrich Nichols yep. in there too. Big plans for another DB. Summit down south for the scouting staff. I don't know if, if you're in part of those meetings even. <laughs> well, you know, if they're having a camp in Florida or something, I'd sign up for that, but nothing right now. Um, I, I, You know, Danny McManus, Ted Gavaya, and Cyril Penn have done such a really good job, and it kind of gets under the radar. You know, every year, you know, they're, they're, well, not every year, but a lot of years there's changes in management. When, you know, new GMs get jobs. And I'm shocked sometimes that Danny McManus and Ted Gavai in particular don't get more love around the league because, I mean, the Bombers have been good here for a long time. And it's that, that talent pool that these guys keep finding and the way this team drafts. Um, you know, people are – you always say it in sports that everybody's replaceable. But when you replace, you know, uh, a D. Alford with a, an Evan Holm, for example, who was a West Division All-Star last year, when you drafted Terrell Ford and now maybe can start at, at corner, that says something about this work that this team has done. Dalton's shown. I can go through the lineup and give you a, a pile of names of guys that uh, have, that this group has found. And, I mean, every team does it, but uh, this team has found guys that can fit into a winning organization and fit well. And uh, so kudos to those guys. I'm surprised they're still working for the Bombers, to be honest. They're too good at what they do. Yeah, it's November, tw- November 28th. 23 or you know, November of last year, it was announced they all signed two year extensions. And you know, on our show, we were crossing our fingers like, how are they going to keep all these guys? And you know, it seems like they've done a great job keeping the front office. And majority of the starters is from the Grey Cup. Uh, you know, before we wrap up here, I wanted to ask you about a couple Bombers legends passing away yesterday Kenny Plain and Jerry James. I know you had some in depth stuff at, at bluebombers.com, but what can you say about those two? legends yeah well legends is the right word remo um both guys in the club's ring of honor both in the canadian football hall of fame uh i got to interview them and know them a little bit but i never i'm not as old that i can say that i watched those guys <laughs> play in the 50s and 60s and been yeah. around for a bit, but not that long um but the thing that's interesting is that when you talk about kenny playing everybody that you know when his name comes up they just talk about uh, his leadership, his athleticism, and what he did during those glory days in the late 50s and 60s. But then just the person he was, you know, he, he, he and his family decided to stay in Winnipeg. And um, he was my dad's favorite player, for example. And everyone just adored him, just a class individual. And then the Jerry James story is pretty remarkable. The fact he's not in the Canadian Sports Hall of Fame is just shocking to me. So he, he, he made the Bombers as a 17-year-old kid at a Kelvin high school. And at the same time was a, you know, playing junior hockey and went to the Memorial cup was a, in the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, uh, system. 
and after playing for the Bombers, gets called up in his first game as a Maple Leaf is in the Montreal form on their top line. He ends up playing about 150 games in the NHL. He's the only guy to play in the Stanley Cup and the Grey Cup in the same year. Was a two-time winner of the Most Outstanding Canadian Player Award in this league. Um, just both of them incredible credentials and the impact they left on this town and this franchise is, is pretty impressive. Both part of uh, four Grey Cups there right. in the 50s and, and 60s. And I couldn't believe that uh, Jerry James had set the record for rushing touchdowns in a season by a Canadian and it wasn't broken until the year 2000. Uh, that's it's some serious uh, length <laughs> of time for a record to stand. But uh, here, Ed, we're wrapping up uh, free agency week. So what's next for you and the Bombers? Just waiting for Castillo and Janarian Grant, or how are you going to be spending the next uh, couple weeks here? Yeah, it will be interesting to see what happens. I, we asked Kyle Walters yesterday about, you know, once the dust kind of settles on the first day of free agency, will you circle back at maybe some names that are still on the list? And he said, we have no money. So I think they're <laughs> saving a little bit of their pot for – trying to get Sergio and, and Janarian back. So it, it might be quiet on the bomber front for a little bit. Valor training camp starts next week, so that's going to keep me a bit busy. But, um, you know, it's it's never boring around here. We'll see what's going to happen. Uh, uh, you know, draft's coming up. The Combine's in Winnipeg in in March, and it's going to be at the Soccer F- uh, Federation Complex on Leela in, in, uh, in the north end of town. So if fans want to go to that. So it's always busy. It's good to be busy, and uh, this team keeps you that way. So much for uh, taking the time to join me here today. appreciate it. Hopefully we can catch up again, uh, I'm sure, before the start of the season. Absolutely. Thanks, Remo. Appreciate it. There's Ed Tate. So much great insight uh, on the Blue Bombers from Ed. Big free agency, big moves, bringing back Oliveira and Schoen. Chris Strebler back. He said Brandon Alexander, but a couple departures as well still have the bombers as favorites in the west and can't wait for training camp and the season to get going but we're gonna pivot back to talk winnipeg jets scott billick of the winnipeg sun on deck right after this we're looking forward to next season and of course all of our winnipeg blue bomber reports here on winnipeg sports talk are brought to you by princess auto proud sponsors of the winnipeg blue bombers and now welcoming Bomber fans to Princess Auto Stadium for next season's Winnipeg Blue Bomber year. Of course, a new 10-year deal announced earlier this year. Uh, A great local success story of a Winnipeg company getting behind the local team in in the way that they uh, are. Of course, Princess Auto, in addition to being great sponsors of all of our sports teams here in the PEG, and of course, Winnipeg Sports Talk, Princess Auto is also the place where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Pop by and visit them in-store on either Panet Road or Portage Avenue West at their two Winnipeg locations. Or you can shop online 24-7, 365 at princessauto.com. I have to give a shout-out to the gang at Wallace & Wallace, Winnipeg's fencing and overhead door specialists since 1946. As the snow melts and we get into spring, you'll see their fences and trucks all over the city. Um, But you might not know, they're also the Clopay dealer in Manitoba and have the largest selection of overhead garage doors for your home in town. But right now, 
as it is cold in the middle of the winter, this is the time that stresses your overhead garage door the most. And the right time to prevent downtime this winter is now. Give Wallace & Wallace a call to book your inspection and maintenance service call today. For residential and commercial overhead door sales and service, there's only one name or two you need to know. And that is Wallace and & Wallace. And uh, hey, fellas, if you're looking into your closet and realize that it might be time to step up your menswear game... Might I suggest a quick trip to take care of that down to see the gang at F Apparel at 190 Smith Street, Winnipeg and Manitoba's number one spot for menswear at great prices. Custom suits beginning at 400 bucks, along with chinos, golf pants, custom shirts, both tucked and untucked styles, and an incredible selection of menswear accessories. Great deals for 2024 high school grads. And if you're in a wedding party or getting married this year, make sure you talk to the gang down at F Apparel about a 15% discount when the entire wedding party gets their suits at F Apparel. They're again down at 190 Smith Street downtown. Check them out online and find out more or make an appointment at F, that's EPHapparel.com. All right, there's Huss. Again, he'll be back next week. On vacation. Well-deserved for him. Messaged him yesterday. He's pumped about the Chiefs win, but also pumped about the Jets win yesterday. Following, you can do that now. You can watch the games uh, while out of town. One guy who was at the game last night, Scott Billick of the Winnipeg Sun. Scott, what's going on? Thanks for coming on to the show with me today. How you doing? It's going, man. I was actually going to not wear the hat today, but my hair wasn't too... Yeah, it looks good, man. It's, just, it's all right. Fresh I cut. I was thinking about... Thinking about starting an OnlyFans where I just post pictures of me without a hat on. Everybody just says, oh, you always wear a hat, blah, 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 blah. I don't wear a hat at games. I'm not allowed to. So otherwise, I probably would. <laughs> probably wear one there, too. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of games, last night, the Jets winning one nothing. I think people are kind of conflicted yeah. in our chat. Should they be excited about a one nothing win over San Jose? Or should we still have some concerns I don't think we're in a total like repeat of last year's second half, mm-hmm. but the goal scoring uh, continues to be an issue here uh, as we go. You mentioned in your, our, you know, your game recap in the free press, seven goals in the last seven games. Uh, that's not that's not going to get going to get it done long term. No, I mean it's not. But I think I mean if anybody, I mean I mean imagine everybody in the chat has seen the game last night, and in my opinion, like that's the way you, you want to do it. Eighty-four shot attempts. I think it was 36 scoring chances, 24 high danger chances. They were putting everything into traffic. Like they were firing pucks from everywhere. Like it was a voluminous. I can't say the word voluminous, something like that. Anyways, there was a high shot volume uh, being put, uh, you know, at Capo Kakinen. And, and, and they were the goal that they scored was exactly the way that they've wanted to score some goals, right? Like they've wanted to have. Two guys sort of in front, screening the goaltender. Puck comes in, you get a tip. Maybe you get, you know, a deflection somewhere else. It goes off a guy's ass, whatever it is. Last night, it was a Lowry redirect that hit off of Morgan Barron's hand and goes into the net. And it's kind of the greasy goal that you need. Yes, like, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, even I said it in in, in my game, or I, I figured that, you know, like that, that, that could have been a lot worse for the Sharks. And if not for... Mark Shifley save it also could have looked pretty bad for the Jets in the end but they played 
like that was the best offensive game in my opinion in the last like maybe five games because they just took it to them the whole game right like it, it was to me it was very much a 58 minute effort from this team which i mean i think on any given night, if you get a good 58 minutes out of your team, you're happy, right? I mean, we always talk about 60-minute efforts and all that stuff. But, you know, the Sharks had their one kind of chance. And early on in the game, the first kind of six minutes of that game, it was more Sharks than anything. But then the Jets went on a 15-0 shot run. And 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 then from there, I mean, the second period, they just took it to them again. And the third, the third was the best period for Winnipeg. And people are going to say, oh, the, the Sharks and all that, and it's, you know – it's one of those, you know, they should beat that team and whatever. Well, one, they did beat the team. Two, I, I just think they got back to, and this team has talked about it quite a bit, but they've, they've talked a lot about having these good feelings, right? They've talked a lot about getting back to, to feeling good. And I think the way that they scored that goal, I mean, I think the worst thing, and I wrote this in my analysis piece. My nose is so itchy. I, my, I wrote this in my analysis piece. Um. But I said, like, the biggest mistake the Jets could make is kind of get being too frustrated that they didn't score more goals because I think if they do that against Vancouver, they're going to have a really good time probably because you're going to spend so much time in the offensive zone. So yeah, I, I wouldn't be upset. I, I think if you're a fan, you're like, okay, well, it would have been nice to see more goals. But the way that the Jets played that game, like, I thought it was just – it was done – it was played really well. And, and so at the end of the day – you know, I think because you're kind of mired in seven goals in the last seven games, I think it's 13 now in their last 11, you're kind of like, okay, well, the the famine's sort of still there for the team. Um, but, I mean, you know, you play like you did last night, um, that team's going to win a lot of games, and they're going to score a lot of goals. And, yeah, I mean, it is a bit perplexing, right? It's a little perplexing that this team, with the talent, the shooting talent that they have, um, isn't finding the back of the net. But, you know, there was some really good chances last night, and, you know, I, I think it's now, I think it's just kind of bearing down and, and putting a couple of those in the net and, and going from there. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not overly worried about them not putting up seven last night because, you know, I think the possibility was there. And in the end, I mean, you know, Shifley save aside, the Sharks really didn't have much of a chance in that game. If you want to look at expected <clears throat> goals, 3.92 yeah. for the Jets uh, on Money Puck. The deserve to win o meter, which is always correct, has the Jets at eighty nine percent, which I yes. think is their highest game this year. Because I, I think mm-hmm. the last one, I don't remember which game it was. It might have been the Columbus game, though five nothing game where they they won. I think that one was around eighty seven percent. So last night they scored one goal, but having you know, I mean, the deserve to win o meter isn't the be all end all, but eighty nine percent is yeah. <laughs> to some, for sure it is yeah. But I, I think the way, again, that deserved a win meter takes a few things into account. And, it, you know, to me, it was complete domination. I think expected goals, like the percentages, was basically 80-20 for the Jets. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I look at that game and, like, it was just utter domination by the Jets, and they just couldn't put a few in. There you go. There is 80, 89%. <laughs> you look at the scoring chances. I mean, the Jets are getting all theirs here in that great area yeah. in front of the net. I mean, Nino Niederreiter, totally snake snake pit there. I mean, flashbacks to early in the season. I don't know what yeah. more they had to do to score, but it seemed like you can't really get mad at the process, but they just keep running into these. I don't know. Do they Are they shooting to the chest of all these no-name goalies? No offense to Samuel Urson and 
Capo Kakinen and yeah. Mackenzie Blackwood and Uka Pekka Lukanen in the past and Carol Vamel. I mean, you go on a list here. Yeah. They made made a lot of goalies who have not great, you know, career numbers look pretty good. And I don't know if it's just like a small sample size thing or if there's even anything. Well, I mean, you look at that. I mean, yeah, I mean, you look at that shot map there and you're like, that's exactly where you'd want all the Winnipeg shots to come from. And so, I mean, if you, I mean, you think back to the breakaway for Niederreiter when he's in alone there and he tries to go backhand and, and Kakinen just makes a nice sprawling save. Like, I mean, some nights you're going to kind of get, you're going to get goalie. And I think the problem is Jets fans are sort of sick of hearing that their team's getting goalie, right? Over and over again. But they found a way to win that game. They got a good greasy goal. And the third period was an absolute clinic by the Jets in shutting down the team other team right i i don't think i can't remember what the shots were i think it might have been 16 to 8 maybe in that uh sorry it was 8 to 5 in that period but if you look at the analytics for the se- the third period like it was all jets the whole or that whole time and so like the jets didn't let up they weren't trying to sit back on the lead they they created the most chances in the game like per period in that third period so it wasn't like they were looking for um, you know, looking just to sit back and protect a one nothing lead. They protected a one nothing lead by being entirely offensive. So, I mean, I liked what I saw in last night's game. It just, you, you, you didn't see the goals that I think that they deserved. They deserved more goals than they got, um, you know, outside of the power play or whatever. You know, th- this team played exceptionally well last night. And yeah, again, like I said, you can say it's against the San Jose, but for a team that's been looking for a game like this, you just need to do it one time to f- start to feel good about it, and and then you can go from there. I think I think the Jets can feel really good going into Vancouver on Saturday night, um, <clears throat> based on the way that they played against San Jose, and and try and repeat that. Um, you know, it would have been worse if they would have lost a two on heartbreaker or, or whatever, right? Like, I think they did the right thing in that game. Yeah, they didn't get the goals, but I don't think they're going to be too frustrated about it given given the amount of chances and, and, and that sort of thing that they generated uh, over the course of 60 minutes. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing this game on Saturday. Jets, yeah. Canucks, it's going to be a late one. Super, you know, Canucks, one of the top teams in the league this year, but Jets' power play continues to struggle. I know they practiced it earlier this week on one of their off days. Any signs of this thing coming to life here, Scott? I mean, we're halfway through the year and they're going eight straight without a without a power play yeah. goal. It's it's not going so great in terms of man advantage. You know, we're getting memes of people uh, declining penalties uh, on social media about about the Jets. Uh, well, and I, mean, I, it, I, I would I would yeah. never say do it, but I don't know. Like they've been pretty good at five on five this year. That's just how good they've been. There was times in yesterday's game where they were out playing. Like it looked like they were on a power play when it was five on five and I was like, and then, and then the, the, the thing is like, like why can't they just keep doing that? Like they were, they were snapping around really good. They were cycling it down low. They're getting it to the points. They were getting shots from the point. They were creating chaos in front of the net, like all the things you'd like to see on the power play. And then it got to the power play and they had two of them last night and, and they scored or they didn't score. They, they only, they only managed to get two shots on goal. Like it, I don't understand it, right? Like, I, I, I wish I had an answer. Uh, I could probably make a lot of money off of it if I did. I don't I don't have a good answer. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there last night. I'm like, there's so much talent here. And 
and they're not they're just i don't know what it is it's almost like they they view it as this like huge uphill battle and and then you look but like right going into one of the power plays last night it's like this team was absolutely owning um owning the sharks five on five and that that's the part that uh, it's just like why doesn't it translate like sometimes i just think like put lowry's line out with two defensemen on the power play and let them grind it out you know like I, I I don't understand. I I think a lot of the time they're trying to find the perfect pass. Uh, there was one last night where I think Shifley tried to find Connor on like this seam pass, and and just it wasn't going to be there. And you know maybe the movement's still not there, but it's it's more than that now. Like I just think there's zero confidence in this power play right now uh, amongst the players that are on it because. Yeah, they've gone eight games. I think it's up to 19 or 20 times. No, it'd be 21 now because I think they came in the game 0 for 19 and 7. So I think they're 0 for 21 now in the last eight games. I mean, it's like 0 for, or it's like 2 for almost 40, I think, in their last 11 games. So like it's just, or 12 games. So it's just not, it's just not going. And I, I don't know how to fix, you know, I, I, I mean, they've, they got Monaghan there now. They they got away on the second unit from the two defensemen like Nate Schmidt made way for Vladimestikov. They got Nikolai Ehlers on the on the second unit. I, I again I think he'd be better on the on the top unit. But I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to play each unit for for a minute and and try and get you know some sort of offense from Ehlers on that on the left side coming downhill there um, as they've talked about. But I mean, at some point, I mean, play the fourth line. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't I don't know what's going to spark this team because I don't think you want to, you know, take certain players off of it because that that probably isn't going to go very over very well. But at some point, I mean, you got to send a message to these units. I mean, they're not they're just not getting it done, you know. And 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 so, yeah. I mean, I don't know what else they have left to do. Like, I don't know what else left they can try. They they're doing it in practice. But here's the thing, and we were kind of, I mean, this was sort of a half joke in practice the other day, but I think it was on, uh, it would have been on Tuesday maybe, uh, and because they're back at Canada Life Center, and we're watching them go through the power play, and, I, and, and you're sitting there and like, did they score one time in practice on the power play? And it's just like, that, that's like, that's, you know, whatever, right? Like, it, it, in practice... You got to understand, like they're not going full tilt on these things because you know nobody's taking one timers against Connor Hellebuck in practice. Like they're not trying to injure their goalie. They're also not trying to injure the penalty killers, right? Because they still got you know big names on that penalty kill that they don't want to get injured. But even there, they're not scoring, and so it's just like, yeah, like it's not even working in practice for this team right now. So that's, I mean, it's a, it's the biggest question mark on this team because I think it's it's the one thing that's probably kept them from from attaining the next level of of how good this team can be. And and really, when you've been in a, a slump like they've had, five on five, um, you you want your power play to put pot a few uh, every couple, you know, or every night or every game or every second game to kind of, you know, at least keep the scoring going. But they, they can't rely on the power play to make up for maybe a little bit of a famine five on five. So, yeah, I mean... I don't have any good answers for you, Remo. It's uh, it's just it, it's in a rut right now, and I mean I think it's just going to take some some luck and and a couple bounces, and then 
but it's it's got to get consistent, right? Like, I mean, we're going in, and I know people can point to, I think the Penguins had a really bad power play one year in one of their back-to-back cups, and, you know, I think the Bruins had a bad one in 2011, and it wasn't a great power play. But, you know, this is a team that doesn't score as many goals as those Bruins and, and, and those Penguins team did five-on-five. Five. Like, the Jets, I think, are middle of the road in terms of five-on-five five scoring. Um, they're, they're, they're the best team in terms of allowing goals against. Um, but they need the power play to work because it's going to be the thing that separates them from playoff time, right? And, uh, you know, even down the stretch here where we're seeing games tighten up a little bit more, um, you need something that, that can actually, you know, I guess uh, turn the tide in games. And, and right now they're not getting it from uh, not getting it from their power play. Yeah, 14.8% on the year, 26th. Yeah. In the league, and you go for goals four per game, all the way down there at 20th in the league now at 2.98. But if you go to goals against per game, well, what is that? First in the league yeah. with 2.27. Second, Florida, who's I think kind of under the radar having an excellent season. They're a very good team, yeah. and they won again against Pittsburgh yesterday. I was trying to not to get this. But I'm trying to talk about some other stuff first, but we got to <laughs> mention a big line swap at the end of the game yeah. there yesterday. Nikolai Ehlers going down to the fourth line. Alex, I follow coming up top. Are we making uh, too much of this, or is or can we expect to see Ehlers on the fourth line to start against Vancouver? No, I don't. I don't think so. I and mean, I think this is probably getting you know this is a little little mountain of a molehill sort of thing. And I wrote that in my analysis piece that you can read it. Winnipegsun.com, shameless plug. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, you looked at – so you, if you look at the stats, like the, the analytics from yesterday, and I pulled them up here before I came on and had them going, and you just look at the way. So this is a team that was protecting a one-goal lead. They made the switch to Alex Iofalo between uh, – or Alex Iofalo with Shifley and Connor moving Ehlers down. That line played 418 in the game for the remainder of that, like five on five time. Um, I think they made it around the 16 minute mark, the 15 minute. It was right after, sorry, the 14 minute mark, uh, like six minutes into the into the third period, right after the first TV timeout. That's the first time Iafalo came out with top line. That line uh, wasn't great in terms of, you know, I think it was 13 13 in terms of shot attempts against with with Ehlers on it. They were 10 and one in favor of shot attempts for and against um, with Iafalo on it. I think it was a tactical move. Ehlers was the only player last night, and I, I look at the – and, I, you know, if the chat's going wild right now, I'm not saying that Nikolai Ehlers should be anywhere but the top line because I believe that he should be at the top line. But if you look at that game last night in a vacuum, you see that Ehlers is the only player on the team, I think, that had, and I looked at it last night, they did some stat updating this morning, um, but he was the only player that was below 50% in terms of shot, in the shot share. He was the only player that was getting outshot on the night. Um, and, and so in a game that was so lopsided, like I think they saw how Ehlers' game was playing, and he looked fast in the first period, I thought, but there was a couple giveaways in that game, and I think they're... I don't want to speculate, but I think there might just be a time where in a game when it's a one nothing game and you are, sure, trying to find that second goal, but at the same time you're also trying to defend a lead. Um, I'm just not sure that there's the trust there between coach and player right now, between Bonus and Ehlers. 
to to not make that giveaway at a you know inopportune time or at any time that might lead to a time goal, right? So to me, that's where it was. Now I didn't think that the fourth line played very well with Ehlers on it either. Um, you know, it's just it, that's not the way that that fourth line is going to play. Uh, Ehlers is too fast for Nemestikov. Well, not maybe not for Nemestikov, but it's just not that that line's just not going to work the way that I think. Well, it, it barely played. Is what we'll say um, down the stretch there. So, but you know, I think at the end of the day, that top line, the change that they made, and the minutes that they played, Trayfley's line to end the game. Um, it did what they wanted to do, which was limit shots, and they only had one attempt against in in the final, um, you know, sixteen or fourteen minutes or so that, that that was left in the game, and and so I look at that and I'm like, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's hard to argue with it when when the stats and again in a vacuum in a game in one game, um, which was last night's game, it's hard to argue. Um, the results of it because they they held on to the lead. They played really well. The top line with Iofalo did its job defensively, um, and the Jets you know won one nothing. And so I, I don't think you're going to go into Saturday's game in Vancouver and see Nikolai Ehlers on the fourth line. I mean, I, I think it's just one of the things that Paul Maurice. You know, this is a bit of a side tangent. A lot of people would get upset that Paul Maurice would just kind of stick with it and stick with it and. And, and, and you needed a change kind of mid-game, but it would just never come, right? They would never move either Wheeler off the line or Connor down or whatever. They would just keep letting it happen, right? Bonus isn't like that. Bonus has been a coach who, uh, mid-game, he, he very much likes to move and shuffle the deck if something's not working, right? I think that's something that fans wanted from Paul Maurice, but they never really got it. Now you get it in the game, but because it's Nikolai Ehlers, you're like, eh, well, this guy's so good. I mean, you look at this guy's points per minute. Um, or points for 60, uh, and, and it, it's it's either the top on the Jets or, like, second, I think, right now. Um, and you're like, okay, well, why, if you're struggling to find offense, you know, why are you demoting that guy? But at the same time, it's, you know, you've got 14 minutes left in the fourth in the third period, and you're just trying to also hold on, too, right? And But I don't think it was more holding on. It was just trying to solidify that this team needed to be stout defensively and there was probably a little bit of worry when it came to Ehlers because of a couple of giveaways. Um, and so he made the change. I, again, I don't think it's as big as it needs to be right now. Like, I, I understand people get upset about these things. Like, I understand that Ehlers deserves more ice time. I, I'm, I wholeheartedly, I'm with, I'm with you guys, right? Like, I get it. I, I, I totally believe that Nick Ehlers should be playing more, should be playing on the top line. Um, but last night just wasn't his night, and, and that's going to happen. And so when they take him off, for one period, I, I don't think it needs to be as overblown as it is. But again, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, if if he starts on the fourth line on on Saturday, that would be a problem, I think. But I, I don't think that's where he's going to start. I think he'll be back on the top line, and I think it's just one of those in-game decisions, a tactical move um, that it's hard to argue that made sense at the time because it worked. It worked for it worked for the team. They won the game, and Iofalo on the top line added an element of defensive hockey there that um, that suited the team with what they needed. So, yeah, I, I don't see it as a as a negative, but I do understand why fans, because it's not just um, – everybody doesn't look at it in a vacuum, right? A lot of people talk about this, see Nikolai Ehlers not being played or underutilized or whatever, and and it's just that, that that's the that's the, the visceral reaction when they, they see Ehlers demoted. So, 
Um, but last night, I think it was, you know, at the end of the day, probably the right move given given the, the analytics um, and given what the team was trying to do down the stretch in the third period. Yeah, and one other line, speaking of the lines, one other line that stayed together for majority of the game, uh, Monaghan, Velarde, Perfetti. You know, Velarde, Perfetti, they're in this, you know, scoreless streaks here. I think Perfetti's on to eight games. Velarde, he's at six. Monaghan as well, looking for his first point as a Jet. I think they're just going to keep these guys together and hope they can yeah. all break out of it at the same time. They seem to do okay in terms of the shots. You know, shot, shots for versus shots against, but uh, yeah. just like like everyone on the team, they can't seem to find the back of the net. Yeah, I think that's it, right? I mean, I thought that line, that was their best game together yet. Again, they were playing the Sharks, so how much stock you put in, I don't know. But that's a line that needed to sort of get in sync, right? You you talk to every guy on that line. I mean, we talked to Cole Perfetti yesterday morning um, before the game, and he was like, you know, it, it, like it, there's a belief there that it can work. They've had sort of signs of it, but, you know, Monahan's new and, and, and they're just trying to figure out kind of how each other kind of plays off. And so they were a little bit off. I didn't think they were a little bit off last night. Like I thought, I mean, the, the out attempted the opposition 15 to eight. I think they outshot them six to three. Uh, high danger chances were four to two. So like you're looking at some pretty good stats there. Like you're, if you're looking for a sign that that line was starting to click a little bit, I think you saw it a little bit last night. Velarde had a really good shot or uh, attempt in front. Um, it was just off some really good work by that line. But Monaghan played well. I mean, Monaghan probably got unlucky not getting an empty netter late there in that game to kind of crack that one. But I, I liked the way that that second line looked um, last night. I think it was their best game yet. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think they're going to keep it together because they need to. Like, they this is part of the problem with this team because the, the alternative, at least in my mind, is moving Nikolai Ehlers back down to that line because it, it seems to me, and I'm just basing this on what we see with Rick Bonus, they're going to keep Kyle Connor and Mark Shifley together. And whether or not people like that or not, that's just the way it is. That's the way Bonus sees it. Um, I, you know, We know that Mark and Kyle like to play off each other, like to work together. There is a good chemistry there between those two, at least offensively. I thought, and then you know, side point here, I thought Mark Shifley had a hell of a game defensively last night. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there, there's a lot, a lot of run, well, not a lot of run, there's, there's, there's a bit of runway here, there's a bit of time to get this second line going. Bonus said yesterday, they need it going. So, you know, if it doesn't work or if it's tailing off, then they'll make a change. But, you know, just looking at, again, the stats from last night, I thought they had a good game and watching them last night um, more than anything i thought that line played well together so um again i think everybody just needs a goal right <laughs> i mean that's part of the problem right now is you're seeing a lot of good things at times but you're not seeing um i guess the the, uh, the execution or the the final the, the final uh the final shot going in and that's that's part of the problem right now but um i mean if you're looking for a, a sign that that line was starting to kind of figure it, itself out and and, and and starting to you know build chemistry and and and, and jibe a little. Um, I think you saw it last night. Uh, and and yeah, we'll see how they play against Vancouver because that's going to be a much different test for that for that line where they don't have the the uh, you know the last line change and all that sort of thing. So um, they're going to get tested a lot more against the Canucks and 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 we'll see how that happens. But I thought they can build off of what they what they did last night. Yeah, two wins in a row after uh, losing five. 
in a row puts you in a good spot and big test coming up Saturday against Vancouver, Monday yeah. afternoon in Calgary, and then here against Minnesota, who's actually playing <laughs> playing pretty well. Yeah, uh, the big that's going to be a heck of a game. <laughs> big the whole Hartman thing and all that. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that one. That's going to be Jets on the back-to-back, but I don't think they're going to need any uh, extra motivation, let's say, come out and kind of stomp the uh, – or at least go to war uh, with the Minnesota Wild that night. Yeah, we'll that, yeah it'll be that night. We'll have to see what happens there. And as we wrap this up, Scott, we do have some news about one of Winnipeg's other teams, the Bombers making some news, but the Sea Bears signing yeah. Teddy Allen last week and Chad Posthumus, the captain, he's back for another term. He'll join me tomorrow, but yeah. I feel I feel like year two is going to be a big one here for the Sea Bears, and nice to have some uh, continuity with the players. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think the fact that they're going to have these familiar faces is a big thing for this team, because you look at this league, there's a ton of turnover, but I think the one of the big things the Sea Bears did really well last year was create an atmosphere that you want to be in. Like, their facilities are really nice. I, don't, I, I have no comparison across the league, but the new Sport for Life Center on Pacific or whatever, like that's a nice place to practice. And this team treated the players really well last year. I mean, they had a lot of different opportunities to make a little extra money off the court with different kind of appearances and stuff like that. So, you know, the Seabears did it really well last year. But the biggest thing I think was for the fans, they, like they really got to know Teddy Allen, right? Like, And he was like this big kind of um, game-breaking, you know, he was the MVP of the league, right? I mean, and, and the Seabears had him in their first year. They also had, and I, I believe the, the, the Beast from River East is, is the nickname for Chad Bossimus. Um, he, he put down a, you know, like it was a put-back jam to win the first game, the inaugural game, the, the, you know, the opener um, for the Seabears. And, and that was a big game. Like, I remember being in that. And I mean, at that time, it was a, a league record in attendance and all that. And it was wild, right? But uh, the one thing with Chad is that um, he's, he's a good player, right? He, he's a good big center in a league that not, not you know, they have some bigs in the league and, and, and they do well. I think toward the end of the year, Chad kind of got, you know, maybe pushed out a little bit and, and he would start games, uh, you know, being Canadian, that helps. Um, him to you know they needed I think they have to start three Canadians to start the game um, so he would start the game but he would often get in a little bit of foul trouble down the thing you know the guys would attack him other teams would attack Chad because he, he can be really really effective um, obviously with his sizing I believe he's 6'11 nearly seven feet tall but um, yeah I mean he he played he played well but I think it's just it's good it's gonna be good for the fans right I think one thing that is is hard for teams in this league is to and it create, you know, season, uh, you know, like sort of comp- compounding momentum season after season because there is a lot of turnover. Um, but having Chad back, having Teddy Allen back, um, those are things that, you know, fans are going to be able to come to the game and be like, yeah, I, mean, I remember that guy from last year. Now we got the MVP back. Uh, you know, we got the local kid back. They're going to probably have uh, Simon Hildebrand back too next year. So there's going to be that as well. And, and so – yeah, I mean, we're looking at a, a Sea Bears roster that's sort of shaping up to be a team that you know you remember from last season. They get, went all the way to the playoffs, um, and yeah, I mean, it it, it should be fun. It, I, I mean, yeah, if you didn't get out to a Sea Bears game, and I'm not trying to chill for the for the team, but it, it's a heck of an atmosphere. I know Remo, I think you were at a couple of games. Um, Huss was always there. It was 
it's a fun atmosphere. It's it's a good time in the summer. Come out, I think the tickets are pretty cheap, and it's it's fun basketball. Or you know, like the uh, uh, the the what do they call the end time? It's like uh, the target uh, score. Yeah, I forget. Target score. That's it. That's a lot of fun to watch. I mean, I think fans started to understand it kind of halfway through the season, and it became you know a fun thing to to watch. So yeah, it, it it's been it, it's really good for the Sea Bears to have some of these these familiar faces back, and I, I think it's just only going to make it you know that much better of a second kind of sophomore season for them. Yeah, the game production there I thought was excellent. Felt like uh, you were watching yeah. a big league game and. Uh, Teddy Allen said that with Husser. I don't know if that was last week or yeah, last week, week or week before. Yeah. Um, Scott, thank you so much for coming yeah. on. Great talking to you, and enjoy the games this weekend. Yeah, we'll do Hus. Appreciate it. See you guys next week. There he goes. I appreciate that. that was a little reflex there, Scott. Call me, call me Hus. Don't worry, I do it. I do it to to <laughs> all to all the time uh, when I'm on with anyone else but Hus. I call him Hus. Uh, there's Scott Billick, Winnipeg Sun. He's on uh, X formerly known as Twitter, uh, Scott Billick. And we got w- one more guest to come on. Uh, but, you know, Travis Boyd, referee for speed skating. He's been everywhere, including the Olympics. Uh, that'll be part of our Sport Manitoba it takes, immunity to, to, takes a community to play segment. But first, let's get to us. We have to give a big cheers from Winnipeg Sports Talk to our friends at Little Brown Jug, Winnipeg's favorite local beer company, featuring their flagship 1919 and their newest generic lager. My personal favorite, a 4-5 domestic-style beer brewed locally, fresh and crisp to the taste. And listen, generic right now, not only can you find it along with 1919 on your next trip to Canada Life Centre, up in Craft Beer Corner in Section 310 in the Upper Bowl or 126 in the Lower Bowl. You'll also find it at your local beer store in Manitoba Liquor Marts at a great low price of $19.99 for an eight-pack of Tall Boys. If you haven't tried generic lager yet, try local. I'm sure you will enjoy it. And uh, maybe the best place to check it out, along with all of the Little Brown Jug offerings, is down at their brewery and tap room on William Avenue. You can also find out more on Little Brown Jug ordering and local delivery options, along with their great merchandise, online at littlebrownjug.ca. Um, every sports fan in Winnipeg pretty much knows that if you're in the market for some new Jets merch or bomber gear or your favorite team from another league, there's only one place you need to go, and that, of course, is the Royal Sports Superstore at 750 Pemina Highway. 40,000 square feet of the biggest inventory you'll find anywhere featuring all the home teams and the top teams from all of your favorite leagues and whatnot around the world. But it's not just great fan merchandise at Royal Sports. Take advantage of winter or what's left of it with their incredible hockey section, skates both for high-end players as well as recreational skaters, not to mention snowboards, boots, bindings, and all the cool stuff on the King's Skate Snow and Surf side. You've got to see it to believe it for yourself. Head on down to Royal Sports at 750 Pembina Highway and make sure to follow them on Instagram for the latest merchandise drops and sale information at Royal Sports Pembina. And uh, hey, big shout out to our friends at Boston Pizza. If you're thinking about gathering with your friends for the big game, 
Uh, there's nowhere better to do it than your local BP. You know you'll have the game on the massive screens in Boston Pizza. Uh, the sound from the commentators up on the uh, on the sound system. And most importantly and most popular, win or lose, you'll be enjoying ice-cold schooners, world-famous BP wings, gourmet pizzas, and great Boston pizza hospitality. And heck, seven days a week, if you can't make it out to your local BP, you can always order online and get it hot and fast to your door by ordering at bostonpizza.com. All right, there's Hustler with the, with the reeds and... One final guest here, as I said, is part of our sport, Manitoba. It's a, it takes a community to play. We've had a lot of great guests here on Thursdays uh, learning about sport and, and the community. And also caught up with Travis Boyd, a speed skating referee. He's been in the Olympics. He's officiated a number, number of uh, you know, big profile events. And here's Hustler's conversation that took place last week. All right, it's time for another It Takes a Community to Play segment with Sport Manitoba, proudly supported by Manitoba Liquor and Lotteries. And uh, this is going to be great. I'm really looking forward to finding more about our next guest and the incredible places that officiating has brought him. Let's welcome in Sport Manitoba's official for the year in 2023, speed skating official Travis Boyd. Travis, welcome to Winnipeg Sports Talk. It's great to have you on the program. Thank you. Pleased to be here. Um, I have to ask you right off the bat. Um, I mean, first off, congratulations on the award. How uh, how rewarding was that for you? And uh, what was it like getting the call that uh, of all the people donating their time and spending so many hours officiating that uh, you got the nod as the top one in Manitoba? Well, it's a real honor. Um, that wasn't the goal, but it is. Uh, it really is sort of the icing on the cake. It's uh, it's great to know that you were appreciated. I mean, other than that, the the gig is the gig. So it was a it was a real pleasure. Uh, you know, you're a top speed skating official, and it's taking you around the world. But uh, I'll start up by asking: um, Are are were you a speed skater, and um, how did you get into uh, officiating speed skating? Well, I'd officiated in previous sports. Uh, my daughter started speed skating in 2000, and I'm a joiner. I make eye contact, and I'm kind of hooked. That's the way it is. Uh, and that was my way of being involved. Instead of being a parent in the stand, I uh, learned how to lap count and time and record and refereeing is what stuck. So from 2000 on, uh, I have uh, tried to hone my refereeing skills. Wonderful. How, how challenging was it um, getting into being, uh, you know, the arbiter of a sport that you didn't have a lot of experience in? Well, I, I think other sports. I have another daughter that played team handball for a number of years uh, on the junior provincial team. And um, I have a passion for sport. I've played a lot of recreational sports myself, uh, but the passion for sport was uh, it allowed me to really kind of dig in and start enjoying it. Now, uh, you started around 2000. Uh, it's taken you around the world, and we'll get to the Olympic experience in a minute. But um, mm-hmm. fill us in a little bit on the pathway from uh, just saying, hey, I'm here to help out and learning it to um, obviously the highest, uh, the highest point in the sport. Well, like any sport, we're short on officials. So somebody hands you a clipboard, you take it or you run away. You have to kind of two choices. Uh, and Canada has a very stringent program. We have five levels that we work our way through and uh, it becomes almost a competition within the officials themselves. Uh, we compete to move up. Uh, we continue to do more things. We experience a great mentoring program and each level is just that much more exciting. It was nice to go to uh, Canada Winter Games, to do Canada Cups and then eventually to do World Cups and then from World Cups to Championships and Olympics. So 
every step has its rewards. And it's interesting, the lower the levels are, level one, level two, and you're an introductory official, those are the most challenging because it's a learning experience for all the officials within that zone. And as you move up, everyone becomes more of a consummate expert, uh, but the, the room for error is very, very narrow. So I think that's the trick is to learn your mistakes early and uh, continue to hone your skills. That's really what it turned into. Uh, Travis Boyd is Sport Manitoba's official of the year for 2023, uh, a speed skating official. And, you know, obviously the pinnacle for any Olympic sport is the Olympics. But before we get to the Olympic experience, um, tell us a little bit about where the sport has taken you and uh, your experiences traveling, officiating uh, the top speed skaters around. Well, if we're looking at just traveling, we made an assumption. I've been around the world almost four times. Uh, it's taken me to some interesting places, uh, to Russia, to Kazakhstan, uh, Japan, China, of course, the United States, uh, Germany, uh, different parts of Europe, uh, the Netherlands. It, it was Those are really sort of the bonus for the hard work. And I think some of the most unique places, uh, Kazakhstan was very unique. Uh, China and Japan, I loved Asia. I think I've done both four times plus the Olympics. Uh, so being able to travel and really enjoy the culture and how officials do things differently around the world, it's a, it's a reward in itself. Um, the 2022 Beijing games, um, first of all, was that always a goal of yours once, um, you, you started climbing the officiating ranks and, uh, what was it like, uh, finding out that, uh, you were going to be an Olympian as it were? Well, and I guess I would be classified as Olympian. It is. It is the pinnacle. Uh, speed skating volunteer, uh, officials and many sport uh, officials are volunteers. So it's the time that we put in, that's the reward that we get out. Uh, I was in 2010 as a supplementary official in Vancouver. That was it. I was hooked. I was going to become an Olympic official after that, whatever it took. Uh, in 2014 in Sochi, I did the same thing. And that was truly unique experience. Uh, the Russian experience was then uh, very, very interesting. And then getting the call for Beijing, it was an honor. Uh, in the world, there's only 24 uh, championship referees in all the world. So being one of four selected for the Olympics, uh, it was an honor. I had, um, I'm shaking right now thinking about it. I, I couldn't overprepare. I couldn't be more excited. And I tried to stay calm until I got there. So that's sort of what it is. I mean, it's, it's the... It's the top, it's the championship, it's the Stanley Cup, it's the Grey Cup, it's the World Cup, it's all the above. Being an Olympic referee is, you are classified as an Olympian. It's wonderful. You know, Travis, we've spoken to a number of Olympians um, on the athlete side and talked to them about, you know, the Olympic experience and being in the village and, you know, all the work that goes into it. What's the Olympic experience like for a referee? Um, are you guys in the village? And um, tell us a little bit about what the time is there like outside of actually officiating the sport that you're there for. Well, it was interesting in China. Of course, COVID was a big thing. Sure. And I don't know if any other country could have done it as well as China. I mean, it was a, uh, they did a really, really good job. We had some restrictions. I'd been in China previously, so I, I knew what to expect. Um, but we, I mean, the opening ceremonies, I can still feel it. It just, it was quite an experience in the 45 minutes before the opening ceremonies, the kids, thousands of kids put on a program, uh, that I will always remember. We did get a chance to get into the athletes village. Uh, we did see some curlings, some hockey, a number of different sports. Uh, you're treated with kit gloves. 
you're kind of the CEO of the gig. So uh, being able to get all the ins and outs through the uh, an absolutely beautiful arena that they put together for speed skating, it is really special. And the swag is pretty nice too. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I've always talked to athletes about, you know, picking the brains of other athletes in other sports while they're there. Um, do you ever do the same with referees from sports that might have nothing to do with speed skating? Well, we do more observe than not, and it seems like uh, like a, a multi-sport event like the Canada Winter Games, which I've been to a couple, were spectacular, and the Olympics. Uh, you don't get a lot of interaction. You can observe and watch. Where we really get our input is with the starters, referees, and, and recorders, and sports experts within our sport in different parts of the world. The end-all, be-all is to do the same thing. We do a clinic every two years uh, as referees somewhere in the world to hone our skill. We interact. Uh, the program is great because they mix us up. You're always working with different officials. Uh, so you feed off each other. The senior officials were true mentors. The junior officials, it's wonderful that they observe and they want insight. So it really is a, an all-out share. You know, I, I have to ask you, I mean, as, uh, as someone, like I think like a lot of casual sports fans, it's sort of see speed skating at the Olympics and we sort of all get into it. Obviously there's tons of great Canadians and Manitoba's got a great history in the sport. Um, we do see fouls and, and things that are called that I think the average fan doesn't. Um, what's the most challenging part of being a speed skating official? Um, and, and maybe what, what's that, that final step? I mean, what, what, what do you and the championship officials um, have that the others lower down are working on? I think a lot of it is experience. You have to be exposed to it. Uh, you can learn and read all you want, but until you have hands-on experience and see what's going on, sometimes it's very difficult. Speed skating is like, as an official, when the racing is on, it's like a single lens reflex camera. You see something, you capture it, you process it, and then you move on it. Uh, we do have video replay, but uh, I, I admire hockey referees, the, the speed that they move at. Uh, we have single races, and as well as mass start races. And it's being able to observe, see, and anticipate. Anticipate's a big thing. The contact or incident doesn't happen right on the spot. It's a build up to that. So knowing that and anticipating it and being ready to capture that image really is the challenge and the reward. Uh, do they use uh, instant replay? At the World Cups, we do in the A division because there are two divisions. And at the Olympics, we use, uh, we use replay. So we usually have uh, an infield uh, area that is uh, designated for the officials with camera and a gentleman there helping us uh, review things. Uh, sprinters are moving up to 58 kilometers an hour around a 400 meter oval. It's spectacular the speed it's at. So crossing a line within an inch or two, if you don't capture that image, you have to rely on replay to do that for you sometime. Travis Boyd's with us here on our It Takes a Community to Play segment for Sport Manitoba and bringing it back home and to the grassroots um, if you could, Travis, speak from your experience to the, you know, the importance of officials and referees in our sports system and, um, you know, what you get from giving back, um, even at the initial level when you were starting uh, 20 years ago, uh, just cutting your teeth as a speed skating official. Well, I, I think being an official, uh, athletes that become officials are very good officials. Uh, and it's a way of staying in the sport. Not everyone's going to be an Olympian. We know that. Uh, we know everyone's not going to be an NHL uh, all-star or a pro. So being involved in the sport that you really enjoy, officiating is a great avenue for that. 
locally, I don't know. I've tied a lot of skates, wiped a lot of noses, shoveled a lot of snow, and those are sort of the beginning of it. But being involved, seeing athletes mature and grow up, it's wonderful. Seeing young people that want to become officials, it's very important to make them included. Uh, it's funny, we look at, and I'd mentioned this before, is we looked at, uh, we look at skaters, uh, team players that have a, a challenging game. And we go, okay, that was, we'll let that go. They've had an off day. We need to treat our young officials the same way. If a young official is learning by mistakes, just like any sports athlete is, is we have to understand the fact that if you're in, in, a, in a minor hockey game or a minor speed skating game, official may miss something. It happens. But as long as they learn from their mistakes and we understand that, that allows them to grow and gain confidence. The bottom line is that uh, without officials, the games don't happen. And, um, you know, not only do we need to treat them properly, but also nurture them, especially at the lower levels uh, with younger officials, as you just mentioned. Absolutely. And, and we usually have people shadow us when we can. And a lot of a lot of officials that want to move up do that. So it's important to have somebody by your side. You have an opportunity to communicate. There will always be athletes and there will always be athletic experiences. But to have a meaningful competition you really can't without some sort of officiating. At certain sports, you self-officiate yourself, but at the same time, you agree on what the rules are. And as things become more competitive, you need an official that has a competitive edge. So um, I know Sports Manitoba and Speed Skating Manitoba have been wonderful about including their officials, getting their officials to grow. And uh, they appreciate the fact that their athletes are moving on. And part of that may be because of competent officiating that uh, Speed Skating Manitoba has allowed us to do. Well, the games don't happen without somebody to blow the whistle. And uh, I think it's an important message uh, that you just mentioned about the way we treat officials. Um, but also, uh, you know, the message to folks thinking about being involved in a sport that they love, maybe some that they have experience or in your case, one that they don't. Um, there are some pretty incredible possibilities of getting involved. And at the end of the day, um, so many people benefit from that sort of commitment that yourself and other referees have. Very true. I, you, I think you summed it up. I don't know if I can add too much to that. Uh, but I, I admire young officials and their desire to move forward. Uh, I love their thirst for rules and understanding of the rules. And what it allows you to do also as a spectator, because I still spectate speed skating as well, is have a really good understanding of what's going on. It just includes you in the game. Travis, uh, congratulations again on uh, the award for the official of the year in 2023 from Sport Manitoba. Continued success to you, and uh, thanks for everything that you do for the sport. Um, continued success, and uh, thanks for joining us on uh, Winnipeg Sports Talk today. My pleasure. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was an experience. Enjoy. <laughs> Good stuff. That's another edition of It Takes a Community to Play with Sport Manitoba, supported by Manitoba Liquor and Lotteries. All right, very well done there, and uh, it was a great conversation with Travis, and I love those uh, Sport Manitoba segments here every Thursday. I just got a text here from Royal Sports. Uh, they got in, if you're looking for KC Chiefs Super Bowl Champions merchandise, check out their Instagram, Royal Sports Pemina. They got uh, KC Super Bowl 58 champions merchandise. It's got one t-shirt here with all the names on the back. Just uh, buy that, put it in a drawer, and or wear it if you want. And a couple years later, it's fun to look back, all those names. I do love those championship shirts that have uh, the names. Maybe one day 
Well, we've seen it with the Bombers, but uh, maybe one day other teams that you fall will win a championship. You can get one of those shirts that has that has all the names. And one more thing on the Jets. Returning home next week. Big game, February 20 against the Minnesota Wild. Big revenge game. Uh, single game seats still available. WinnipegJets.com slash tickets. Uh, Tuesday, February 20 against Minnesota. Sunday, February 25 against the Arizona Coyotes. Wasack night and the other Tuesday, February 27, hosting the St. Louis Blues, uh, who've been pretty solid as of late. Uh, WinnipegJets.com slash tickets. Single game tickets and season uh, ticket info as well. Uh, check that out there. Uh, we did have, I just saw this today on the wire, the Winnipeg, or sorry, Winnipeg, the Tampa Bay Lightning announcing a new third jersey. I'm a big jersey review guy. Check this out, a black jersey, uh, gray and white and blue stripes on the arms. The logo a bit adjusted to the standard classic hockey logo. It's a circle with some text in it. You know, I don't. I don't. I don't think this is like amazing, but I think this is this is all right. I like the the striping, classic striping. I think the logo. I don't know if it needs to say like hockey club, in there, but they're trying to pay tribute to the legacy of the Tampa Bay Lightning. And the one thing I do love on this jersey is the number lettering. Sorry, podcast listeners. They got went with the 3D numbers. You don't have enough 3D numbers here around the NHL, so. Nice little third jersey. I do like to do jersey reviews. They're going with the matte helmets. We're seeing more times do matte with matte helmets rather than the glossy. Switch it up. Uh, nice looking kit. And they have what? This is like a new feature on jerseys where you have to have something inside the collar. So they have the three Stanley Cup championships on the inside of the collar. To me, that's like a nothing feature. Like, who cares? It's inside the collar. Who's going to see it? That's my thoughts. That's my thoughts on that. Sorry, podcast listeners, you'll have to come in and check that out. And hey, if you miss anything on the show this week, sign up for the Winnipeg Sports Talk newsletter, winnipegsportstalk.com. Scroll down to the bottom, put in your information, and you'll get an update each week on anything you miss. We had some great conversations this week, especially today with Ed Tate about the Bombers, free agency, uh, some Jets conversation as well. and. Uh, Super Bowl recap, so all that good stuff. Uh, subscribe to our newsletter for more information. Also, learn about uh, whatever events we have coming up. The big whiskey tasting. I think there's like one or I think there's a, a couple tickets, but that link to that in the description of this video uh, down below for the big uh, Canadian whiskey masterclass taking place at the end of the month. Number of NHL games tonight. Big, big slate of games. We're just going to go through those. Uh, Edmonton, they, uh, McDavid coming off that big six assist performance against Detroit. They're in St. Louis to take on the Blues. Blues plus 185. Home dogs. Colorado Avalanche versus Tampa. What is this? Stanley Cup final rematch. Big total in that one. Seven. Lightning. Home favorites minus 129. Uh, Avalanche plus 110 road dog. That'd probably ride with the Avs on that one. I did see actually Vasilevsky rocking Nikolai Happy Bulin tribute pads, which I thought was pretty cool. Going back to the old Bauer striping from the early 
2000s. The Maple Leafs, their home favorites, coming off their best defensive performance of the year against St. Louis on Tuesday. Probably without Morgan Riley, who continues his suspension, he's going to appeal. Uh, and the Flyers, really, I tried for several days. Okay, Dan, let me double check that one, Dan, sorry. Uh, Flyers, they're, they're road dogs. They're, appreciate the compliments there in chat, uh, BA Split and Elias. Uh, and what else do we got here? Montreal Canadiens, they're on the road against the Rangers. Rangers, big home favorites, minus 252. Boston, minus 18 favorites against the Seattle Kraken. Uh, Florida, they won yesterday. Now they're off to Buffalo, minus 151 road favorites. Buffalo home dogs, plus 128. And last one of the night, oh, sorry, two, there's two more. Uh, Vancouver, big home favorites against Detroit. Detroit just got smacked around by Edmonton. Can Vancouver... Do the same. Elias Lindholm fitting in nicely with his new team. And Ottawa. Well, you know, could we see an empty net goal in this one? Minus 217 favorites against the Ducks. And, oh, there's an, oh, there's more games. Oh, my God. I thought they would go in the order of time. But, no. Uh, the Devils hosting the Kings. They've, Devils were playing a lot better since Jack Hughes returned. The Kings, weird season for them. Next one's close to a pick. And Devils minus 114. And the Blackhawks. Last one here, plus 175 home dogs against the Penguins. Connor Bedard might make his return. A lot of that's coming out while I'm here. I haven't seen. Uh, so Connor Bedard, uh, we'll have to see if he comes back. Anyways, that's it for uh, that's it for me. I'm going to wind this down to say uh, hi to everyone. And again, if you've stuck around this far, thank you so much for hanging out. Uh, hit the thumbs up. Hit the subscribe button as well tomorrow big show we'll look ahead to jets and canucks ken weeb we'll talk with hacksaw oh sorry i did say about that canadian whiskey master class it is sold. sorry dan it is it is sold out there and that canadian whiskey uh master class um anyways but i was anyways appreciate all the kind words donnie r says bedard is back up I'm enjoying all the comments. Everyone hasn't guessed. Morgan Riley is suspended. He did appeal. The appeal goes to Gary Bettman, so I'm really not expecting him to reduce it. We'll have to wait and see about the Brad Trelevin press conference if he does hold one to express his uh, displeasure, uh, displeasure at the suspension. Anyways, appreciate everyone who's come out for this week. Hustler's been away. I'm doing my best here to fill in. Appreciate all you guys. We'll be back tomorrow for some more great discussion. Uh, see you then, and bye-bye. Oh, my God. Oh! Shut it down. Let's go home. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.